Hey, before this episode starts, I need to make a pre-correction. This one goes out to Timothy Matlack, the man who hand-wrote the Declaration of Independence. In this episode, I falsely credit Thomas Jefferson with handwriting the Declaration of Independence. And since that is the most important part of the Declaration of Independence, I just thought it was important to reach out to Timothy via this podcast and let him know that I'm very sorry. Now enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Favorite Friendship for our special Independence Day edition. I'm Mark Musinski. And I'm Brian Wool. And we are friends. And this is a podcast about friends. And you know what? It's also a podcast for friends. So right now, you guys are all our friends, and together, we're going to explore some of the most fun, fascinating, interesting, complicated friendships of all time in hopes that we can learn stuff to help us be better friends today. And we have a very special, even experimental episode for you today because we tried a different thing. Uh, This is a friendship that both Brian and I are really passionate about, we think is fascinating and foundational, not just for friendships in general, but for this country. And so we thought we'd, we'd try something new. So what we did was we each took one side of this friendship and focused on that person and their perspective on the friendship. And we're going to try to tell the friendship story together, and we'll see how that goes. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about this. Now, both, both Mark and I are incredibly close to this friendship because Mark created a, a web series that we all got to do together called I Made America. That is true. Um, it, and it's about a bunch of founding fathers. And these two founding fathers are some of history's most notable friends. And that is Thomas Jefferson. And John Adams. You see what we did there? We each said the name of the one that we're we were slightly focusing on. So we're already crushing this. Especially because we're not even in the same room. We're just recording this in total isolation. Wow. Amazing. How about that? I know. Right on top of each other. Just like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Do we want to, do we want to talk about what's going on in our lives in the world? Or, or should we just dive in? Nah, whatever. We can just get right to John yeah, Adams Yeah, I leaned Jefferson. pretty hard into that intro. More interested in that anyway. I'm sorry. We, we, we were pretty hard into it. So, so the, the way that they really started to meet was during the Continental Congress, really. The Second Continental Congress. Adams came a little bit later because it took him a while to kind of get convinced by his cousin Sam. Yes, the beer Sam Adams. That guy convinced John Adams to become a delegate to the Second Continental Congress. And he met Thomas Jefferson there. Jefferson, man of Virginia. Virginia, very powerful state. Uh, well, at the time, colony. And when it came time for America to figure out some sort of declaration of independence from England, Adams was the one to propose it. And Benjamin Franklin suggested that Adams talk to this fellow Thomas Jefferson, who's amazing with writing, and he is, importantly, a Virginian. 
And so it would be someone from Massachusetts combined with someone from Philadelphia, Ben Franklin, combined with someone from Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, to write the Declaration of Independence. And that was a, a big part of where Adams and Jefferson got to really first meet and become friends. So, okay, so what I thought was so fascinating about this friendship is they they truly feel like two people, they, they were kind of both philosophically, but even like physically and geographically, they were on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, you know, Jefferson was this sort of tall, elegant, philosophical guy. Um, he, you know, he was... I, I call him wealthy and foppish almost. Yeah, 100%. He was really into, like, what the French were doing. And, and you know, he was he owned a ton of land. He was a plantation owner. He had slaves. Um, and, and he was big in Virginian politics uh, just by virtue of being one of the biggest landowners in the state. Um, but also was freaking brilliant. So, you know, the sort of guy that, sure, you could see that he had been pretty much handed everything, uh, but he did a lot with it. I mean, he, he was a, a philosopher, a writer, an inventor, a statesman, and you see his name all over. Like, when I first looked him up, you know, obviously I knew his role in the, in the sort of lead-up to the revolution... But there were details of it that I'd never even realized. Like, he was the first, or sorry, he was, like, the second governor of Virginia. And he was, like, delegate to all of these different meetings and conventions. And when you look at the names of the people that, you know, came before and after him, they're all, like, hugely famous, important people. So he was right there in the thick of all of this stuff going on. And I can't even imagine running, you know, being governor of a colony like, that's an insane job anyway, because you're in a war. Your colony's not even an official thing that can be governed yet. Um, but he was doing it. So I thought that was very impressive. But John Adams didn't come from that kind of background, right? No, no, he was the son of a pastor and uh, slash farmer. They had some nice farmland. And then, and then Adams, when he got some more money bought his own big farm, Peacefield, just outside of Boston in Massachusetts there. And it's quite lovely. And that, that's where he and his family got, that was kind of the source of their wealth later on, was that, that farm. Interesting. Uh, but, but even though Adams, Adams came from humble beginnings, I, I got to stress, dude still went to Harvard. He still went to Harvard Law. Oh, yeah. So his dad, the pastor, still was able to get enough money for him to go to Harvard Law. Although he was significantly less sophisticated, he had great aspirations to be, you know, a noble person. So when he saw uh, Thomas Jefferson dressed so well and looking so elegant, it, was, it wasn't quite what he wanted to be because Jefferson was more like French, but, but it wasn't that far off. And so, so I think Adams definitely admired him, and he certainly admired his intellect. Uh, he, Adam's letters to Jefferson and, and Jefferson's letters back, so much of these guys just loving that they have someone else that's smart enough to understand them. There's like a, a big thing that I noticed in reading the letters, Mark, was uh, their humor. 
and their humor, it's a lot of making <laughs> references. You know, they'll be like, I, I felt like Euripides writing about Theseus entering the Gorgol. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but like that's their humor is making references to Greek literature and Shakespeare and, and uh, you know, some American literature, but it's mostly Greek and Shakespeare. They love their Greek and their Shakespeare because that's what they really know and that's probably what they studied in school. So they just remembered that. One of the things I thought was so interesting is I'm, when I'm reading these different articles about their correspondence and stuff like that, a lot of the time it is kind of what you're saying that people in, you know, what do we now, 220 to 40 years later or whatever, um, are, are sort of decoding these references that they're making to try to figure out what they mean. And it's not necessarily just between Adams and Jefferson. I, I have some stuff later that's like Adams writing to his sons, but he and, he, in, and in like coded references, trying to talk about certain aspects of Jefferson's life that probably would be impolite oh, we'll to say we're gonna publicly. Get, we're going to get to Sally. Oh, Hemings. yeah. <laughs> yeah we're going to get there. <laughs> but um, but so, so these two guys run into each other at the at the first is it second continental congress continental second continental congress in 19 mm-hmm. in 1775 mm-hmm. and and then bam a year later adams and franklin are like you got to get this virginian guy so that we can get the south excited about this new declaration yeah and luckily for them thomas jefferson has great handwriting probably Beautiful. Really one of the most famous tests of handwriting uh, of all time, at least in America. <laughs> like, no one else's handwriting has been seen that much. I, I'm gonna just guess. I, I'd say that's fair, Mark. I'd say no one else's handwriting has been seen as much as the Declaration of Independence, aside from maybe Walt Disney's signature. Oh, yeah. I'd say that's the only handwriting that's more well-known than... Uh, that maybe maybe John Hancock's signature I can actually only because I'm a history nerd I I know John Hancock's signature I can remember it I know exactly what it looks oh, like Oh yeah is just on the Declaration of Independence so Yeah so even then you're welcome Hancock Yeah best example of handwriting in history everybody knows what that thing looks like So okay so they so they get this declaration done and yeah people are into it well, Americans are into it. I don't, I don't think the King of England was that into it. George was not a fan. But, but George liked John, and that, that comes later. Too. And so when, is, when does John... Well, I don't want to lead into it, but what are John and Thomas doing during the war? So they get, they get sent over. They get sent over to France. Uh, that, that's the thing. Is, so as the war is going on, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, these guys are useless for war. <laughs> but what they are useful for is diplomacy. So they, go, they get sent over to France and Amsterdam, and then they go there saying like, hey guys, can you give us some money so we can help start a country, and then you know England won't be as powerful, and you guys will have some trade partners in the West. And Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, all three of them are in France for a while. And Abigail, uh, John, John's wife, comes out to, to be with him, finally, in France mm-hmm. uh, for so long. And uh, 
Unfortunately for Jefferson, his wife died like just before he starts heading off to France. So he's he's pretty he's pretty upset. He's grieving a great deal. Yeah. But uh, the French culture, the French people, and the French women specifically uh, helped Thomas Jefferson. But a big a big thing about Thomas Jefferson was the Adamses. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Abigail Adams were a trio that was joined at the hip. The three of them were everywhere together while they were in France. Uh, Abigail was such a good friend to Thomas Jefferson. So, like, I, I have uh, the number of letters that these folks wrote to, wrote to one mm -hmm. another. Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson corresponded 171 times during the the time that they were uh, in France and Amsterdam, uh, or in the Netherlands, you know, respectively, uh, leading up to the election of 1800. Abigail and Thomas Jefferson wrote 45 letters between one another. So they still wrote quite a lot between uh, Abigail and Thomas. Wow. There is a... There's a a hell of a friendship between the three of them. Abigail was really there for Thomas uh, as he was grieving about his wife, uh, yeah. as, as John One was. One of the sources I found you know? said that they, they basically considered him part of their family. Yes. Yeah. Basically, uh, Je Jefferson, in, in one of the letters I, I read, he uh, wrote to James Madison. He said... Uh, when you meet John Adams, he is so amiable, I'm sure you'll, or I pronounce you will love him if you ever become acquainted with him. Wow. And uh, Abigail said Thomas Jefferson was one of the choice ones of the earth. And uh, John Adams said to Jefferson in one of the letters that I read, uh, intimate correspondence with you is one of the most agreeable events in my life. They were they were so tight in that time in France. Now they they did uh, eventually have to go back to America uh, yeah. to to help shape the Constitution. Yeah. Well, once once you uh, win the that, war, then it's like, really what's good. that country gonna look like? You you declared independence, yeah. but what is it now? Yeah, and and so these these guys that were great at at writing the Declaration of Independence happy to bring them back for the the sequel yeah. or i guess uh yeah i guess it's kind of the sequel yeah the first one is <laughs> uh, the, the story of the tv series yeah. one was a movie the other is a tv series <laughs> um, but yeah they, it's a different structure a different structure well really. and one of the things that i thought was interesting is so they get so you know george washington gets elected president it seems pretty Pretty easily, at least everyone was on board enough with it. At least Adams and Jefferson. Adams becomes vice president, and Thomas Jefferson is the first yeah. secretary of state. Um, probably because he was a key diplomat in with America's one of their most important relationships, which was France. What I didn't realize is that... Well, so first off, this is, I think, where they're... As soon as we get the country going, I think is where their political divides start to become prominent in a way that will obviously play out later. Um, which makes total sense, because 
think about all the times where you're like working together on something and it's fun and then like all of a sudden you know like you start your business and then it's like wait a minute now now we got to do the thing that I want now it's real so all these philosophical differences yeah made everything really complicated especially because while that was going on the French Revolution was happening yes and Jefferson was really into the the French Revolution. He was not a fan of Louis yeah. Louis the Sixteenth. Well, he was, and he was already kind of at odds with Washington, with not necessarily as much with Washington, but certainly with Adams, because Jefferson's big fear was like a powerful central government that could tell him and all these other rich Virginians what to do. Yeah, um, and so. Uh, so he gravitated towards this new Democratic Republican Party, um, whereas Adams, who I don't think had a lot of influence in Washington's administration, um, but obviously was still an important figure. But he he was more of a more in line with the Federalist Party, which I th- at the time were the two dominant, you know ends of the spectrum of American politics. Yeah, Adams Adams' influence as vice president was mostly over the, the Senate, you know, and kind of how things would go with there. Whereas Washington's administration, it was kind of like his thing. You know, he, yeah. he didn't really do a whole lot with Adams. But Adams kind of had more of a procedural influence during his time as vice president. You know, of course, he wasn't very thrilled with that. Uh but no, but the thing about all. Jefferson well, during Jefferson the, wasn't oh sorry yeah I was just say Jefferson wasn't, wasn't that thrilled with <laughs> no and and because of what you're saying the French Revolution he was he was pro revolution even when the news reports of the reign of terror and the mass executions and sort of as the revolution went off the rails a little bit Jefferson was still promoting American intervention in it to help the revolution. And Washington had a, a strict neutrality stance. And because of this, and I guess I kind of get it, because if you're a secretary of state and the president hates your plan for what to do diplomatically, um, Jefferson just said, that's cool, I'm out. And so in 1793, he just said, I'm going to go back to my massive uh, plantation in Virginia and I'm just going to chill. Uh, kind of in a very... I think it's, it takes a lot of privilege to walk away from being Secretary of State and just hang out for a couple of years. But I think, I think everyone was pretty clear on the fact that Jefferson wasn't going away forever, mm-hmm. uh, especially Adams. Um, but I don't know. It was, reading about it, it's, it struck me. Obviously, I don't know the conversations they're having, but I'm like, really, man? You just like gave up because you couldn't get your way? Okay. Um, But he, yeah, so he goes back to Monticello in 1793, and he's just hanging out, probably inventing swivel chairs or whatever the hell Thomas Jefferson was doing with his free time. Um, But while he was there, he was spending a lot of time with Sally Hemings. That is true. And so the next next, uh, thing I have is some... So do you have the letters uh, in like seventeen 1794-ish from Adams to his sons? Uh, I don't have them right in front of me. Do you, do you have them? I have a couple key quotes. And what I thought was fascinating about this is the story of Jefferson's 
affair and and probable at least what is it it's like at least three children or something he had multiple children with Sally Hemings who I believe was like the the half sister mm. of his wife Sally Hemings was the half sister of his wife Am I saying that right uh maybe I don't so I didn't know that cool let me let me confirm this <laughs> yes holy shit so in 1794 Adams writes a couple of letters to his sons. And what's interesting about this is that the world did not know... Well, it is presumed before that the world didn't know about Jefferson's affair with Sally Hemings. Yeah, it didn't come out. Until during Jefferson's presidency. But here's... The thing that's interesting is that Adams for sure knew if... For no other reason than Sally Hemings and Jefferson's daughter stayed with the Adamses when they visited, or on their way to visit Jefferson in France. They stopped in England and stayed at the Adams' house. And when Sally was with Jefferson in France, they certainly were hanging out with the Adamses. So the, you know, activities between them uh, were probably very obvious to the oh, Adamses. Yeah. Ab- there's no way that Abigail and John would not be perceptive enough to notice what was going on. And what is extra fucked up is, I mean, there's so many profoundly fucked up things, obviously, about slavery. But one of the things that's that's so... makes this situation very interesting is that Sally Hemings was... Uh, a slave in Jefferson's household, and the half-sister of Jefferson's wife, uh, obviously due to Jefferson's father-in-law's uh, activities. Um, and But she's also... She was um, actually three-quarters European. So, so despite the fact that the majority of her descent was no different than, you know, the, the people who cared so much about descent. She was, she was still a slave. And I, it, I, don't, I mean, the whole thing is just mind-bogglingly horrible to even read about in retrospect. Um, oh, the, the mental gymnastics they had to do to justify what they're doing to those people are even crazier than the mental gymnastics people are doing right now to uh, besmirch Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, it's insane. You like it's it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And Adams, by the way, wasn't Adams an abolitionist? Yes. Yes he was. And Adams really had a lot of problems with Jefferson and a lot of the other Southerners that he had to deal with, and he would write about it in in his letters to Abigail. And Abigail, you know, she also expressed her concerns, but both of them agreed that the most important thing would be to get America set as a country as soon as possible, and then they would figure out what to do about the slavery thing. It's not it's not a good thing and Adam no. said it's one of his biggest regrets but yeah but he felt that 
things needed to be prioritized, and the South was not willing to give up their slaves yet. And uh, it, it was very complicated, and he, he harbored very complicated feelings for his friend Thomas Jefferson. Uh, they, you know, they talked about organized religion a lot in their letters, and Jeff and Adams, although he is the son of a pastor, lamented to Jefferson, I, I wish there, there was no organized religion. Organized religion is one of the worst things to happen to humanity, but it also wouldn't you know, humanity couldn't police itself without organized religion. And then Jefferson suggested other things. It was interesting to hear them go back and forth about their moral problems and issues. But Adam's writing to his kids about yeah uh, about Jefferson is very interesting. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of references that they make. And so in kind of decoding the references, you can kind of see what's going on. Because... In, in what I saw, and you, you probably saw this too, Mark, it's yeah. Adams wrote saying that whenever Washington dies or resigns, he expects Jefferson to be invited from his conversations from Egeria in the Groves to take control of the government, which he said also to John Quincy, he said she'd be, he'd be summoned from the familiar society of Egeria to take the reins of power. So, Egeria, she was a divine nymph or goddess from Plutarch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of mythological figure. And then she became the lover of Numa, who was a man chosen by Roman senators as their king after the death of Romulus, Rome's founder. So, like, after the death of Washington... America's founder, Numa Jefferson, would be the second president, is what Adams thought, after he was uh, having his affair with Sally Hemings. Uh, you know, this is, this is inferring a lot based on references. And what was fascinating... These are the references. This is what he's doing. These guys made these references to each other. It'd be like your buddy making Simpsons quotes to you. And the one thing that was very clear from those letters despite the sort of coded references to Jefferson's sexual exploits, is that Adams was very scared of Jefferson's connections and influence and definitely felt that Jefferson had an entitlement, or felt entitled at least, to the presidency. And that his, oh, yeah. you know, his retirement, quote-unquote, in Monticello was really just waiting for Washington to to go away so that he could step forward and claim power. And I think Adams was annoyed because he's sitting in Washington or in Boston, depending on, you know, what he was up to at the time, working his butt off. Yeah, and he's like Jefferson's uh, just just stooping Sally Hemmings and able to come back whenever he wants. Yeah, he's a little, he, there is a little bit of jealousy of Jefferson. It's definitely that. Okay, one of the things I, I missed about the reference to Numa, I'm going to go back to that real quick, because I want to mm -hmm. get into how layered their humor yeah. is a little. So Numa, yeah. uh, according to the History Channel, I, I looked this up, so like this isn't really that deep a research, folks, but it, it's, it's enough. <laughs> Numa was a widower, just like Jefferson, and 
a philosophical and intellectual successor to a military hero, Romulus. So, like, this is a pretty accurate metaphor for Jefferson. Like, that's, that's how much Adams thought through this reference and expected John Quincy to understand this reference from Plutarch's writings. So, like, that's, that's, like, what they think is funny. So it's like quoting, like, a Simpsons deep cut. Yeah. You know, you know, it's not necessarily like a Duff Man joke. It's deeper than disco stew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, and also, at the time, the word conversations, like quote unquote, because he says having conversations in the Grove, uh, was a euphemism for intercourse, and familiar was a euphemism for intimate. Because all of these, I think at the time, letters. You sort of had to be ready for your letters to possibly get leaked or read by someone else. Which people should definitely do with their electronic communication. Of course those can be leaked. <laughs> but but we don't do that in, in modern time. But no. they, they definitely protected it back then with euphemisms and code and all sorts of stuff. And Adams, smart man that he was was like 100% correct at Jefferson's intentions and the way that that history would unfold because, well, not 100% correct, but just that in 1796, when George Washington steps down from the presidency after two terms, setting a precedent that would stand for uh, 150 more years, almost, (laughs) Jefferson shows back up the, you know, the Democratic-Republican chosen candidate to uh, to put in his bid for the presidency to be the second president of the United States. And I think that if Adams and Jefferson were fractured a little bit during their time uh, in the Washington administration, this is really what uh, did them in as, as former friends. Yeah. So the election of 1800, folks. Oh, this is, is even 1776. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry. Yeah. Really, 17, the 1800 is, is like the, the coup de grace of their friendship. 1776 yeah. was ugly, but what happened uh, is that Adams wins by three votes, three electoral votes. And at the time, technically, the, the person who got the second most votes became the vice president. So these two guys who hated each other during the campaign now we're supposed to be president and vice president. And the what I read talked about basically Adams against the counsel of his fellow Federalist Party members went to Jefferson and was sort of like, hey, you're the vice president. I know we're from different parties, but what if we work together and kind of make like a team of rivals situation? And, and then maybe that will be for the best because, you know, we'll all will come to, like, better decisions by working together. And I like how you call it a team of rivals situation, even though that wasn't coined as a thing until, like, 70 years later. Totally. <laughs> but it was, I feel like that but was, yeah, like, the, you're right. that it felt like the spirit right. behind it. Yeah, you're and, right. And I, I think I Adams... I just, you know, just for I, those I feel listening it's, at home. <laughs> <laughs> it really shows the optimism in some way of, of John Adams. I don't know that he was traditionally an optimistic guy but the idea that he was he would even offer this is 
is a, a cool move. See if we can get like a bipartisan thing going on. And, and he, I'm sure, was already feeling the fracturing of the two political parties, which it's crazy because it feels so modern, but it was just happening from the dawn of our country. Immediately, there were two rival political parties who bitterly fought with each other. And, uh, you know, and... I, I forgot to say this. Did you know that Sam Adams actually ran against John in that election, too? I did not know that. He, he ran on the same th- deal for the Democratic-Republican candidates. It was Jefferson, Burr, Sam Adams, and George Clinton, former governor of New York, not uh, governor of Parliament, Funkadelic. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, Sam Adams also ran against John. So, like, wow. it was interesting. John, John wasn't that popular, man. He, he really no. wasn't. Because John, John just... He, he, the only person that really loved him was Abigail. Thomas Jefferson was the next closest, but even, you know, he loathed him at some points. Jefferson, yeah. during the election of 1800, what, what got things to be really uh, bad was Jefferson had mm-hmm. this sleazy journalist named... Oh, wait, even before that. Oh, okay. Hold yeah. on, oh, I love oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, but okay. But e- even before that, so first Jefferson tells Adams no to his proposal of working together. And even though I think Jefferson is technically the vice president through these four years, he was essentially is, does nothing to help Adams. And in fact, um, anonymously with James Madison, um, they, they sort of form like a democratic Republican Alliance and, uh, basically work to undermine Adams including secretly writing the, there's some, so Adams had the Alien and Sedition Acts passed, one of his um, least uh, glamorous achievements. One of the worst things ever, but you know, Alien and Sedition Acts are are totally applicable to what's going on today. Can we talk, do you want to talk about, should we talk about Alien and Sedition Acts right now, or it's not friendship enough? Sure, yeah, (laughs) let's take it, let's take an Alien and Sedition Act break. Really quick, put Alien and Sedition Acts Put a couple minutes on the clock. So why are they relevant today? So here's my deal with Alien and Sedition Acts. Jefferson was having a real issue with misinformation going on in, in the United States of America. Uh, at the time, mm. the printing press, huge, right? Amazing. We can print so many things, make copies, pamphlets, flyers. So people are getting these pamphlets and flyers, but there's really nothing governing whatever they say on them. So people can print whatever they want. And and this creates all sorts of issues, which Mark and I will get into uh, with the election of 1800. But the Alien and Sedition Acts were designed to stop that misinformation. And also, they were designed to prevent uh, French uh, uh, influence and British influence in the United States because the, uh, Jefferson was paranoid that foreigners... Or, not Jefferson, Adams was paranoid that foreigners were trying to infiltrate the United States and its government and uh, destroy it from within. Gosh, misinformation and foreigners destroying a government from within? That sounds really familiar. Yeah, and I'm sure he was not wrong about any of those things. I'm sure England and France were trying to fuck with our elections. But what they I think 100% is... They 100% were, but that doesn't mean that he went about it the right way. No. And that's why Adams regrets it so much, and that's why it's... Re- 
It's the wrong way to go about this stuff. But we are dealing with misinformation today, and we have to figure out a new way to deal with this, because there are innocent people that are being completely radicalized and confused by gobbledygook printed by people that are, are friends of the wealthy and, and Donald Trump, uh, yeah. who, who owes a lot of money to the wealthy. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And, and we can't make, you know, the thing is, is if we're able to get past Trump, we can't make a new Alien and Sedition Act to, to stop people from misinforming us. Uh, and I'm sure Trump wants an Alien and Sedition Act, but, uh, but as folks that are on, on the other side of the aisle, we, we can't do that stuff. Well, is... the problem with any sort of act like that is who decides what information is misinformation. Yes. And whoever gets to decide that holds an insane amount of authority and control over what's happening. And so it's, and this is why Jefferson and Madison secretly uh, wrote the, or anonymously at least, wrote the, um, let's see, it's the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions in 1798 and 1799, which were essentially state laws that nullified the federal Alien and Sedition Act within that state, Mm. which I think, I don't know if this was the first time a state had sort of tried to say it was above, that it didn't have to obey a federal law, but it was certainly one of the first big important conflicts that would obviously eventually continue up until the Civil War. Well, their state law didn't do anything to help fucking James Callender. No. Well, I mean, first, James Callender. Callender? I think you You should jump into it. Because if we're at 1799, then we're basically in the campaign lead-up to the election of 1800, one of America's really dark, dark political spots. I mean, if you think think it's bad right now, 1800's pretty bad. It's... We're, we're... What's so sad is like we're we're pretty close, we're pretty close to as bad as election eighteen hundred. I feel right like now, I Ad- feel or maybe even worse. Do you think we're worse? Adams. I mean, I think it's all the same. That's that's my fear, honestly, is that it's truly like we have different tools and different mechanisms for getting the information out, but we're just doing the same things. I mean, I have here that Adams described Jefferson in his like official materials as a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow. And, uh, oh, see, I, I have him as describing Jefferson as dead. <laughs> that is, that's a piece of misinformation that uh, <laughs> is... Didn't he, well, okay. So, see, first, Jefferson, is... Jefferson called <laughs> Adams a hideous hermaphroditical character. character. Yeah, James, James and, Callender, and, the, the, the sleazy journalist that worked for Jefferson... Would, would write these articles about Adam saying he was a hermaphrodite and, and uh, you know, just attacking uh, Adam's masculinity, saying he was pro-Britain, all these things. You know, do you, do you recognize any of this with the Republicans saying, like, oh, Democrats are, are cucks, they're beta males. It's all, it's all the same yeah. nonsense. It's the same nonsense since the election of 1800. It's amazing. And what was the la- the one you just said that Adam said 
That Jefferson was dead? He said Jefferson was dead. Yeah, so so one of the great things and terrible things, well, I mean, I guess it was great for Adams, but, but terrible for America is, you know, information traveled slow at the time. Now information travels so fast that that facts travel slow. We're almost back to where we were in election 1800. So uh, Adams would float out to everyone on flyers that Thomas Jefferson is dead. So if you vote for Jefferson, your vote is wasted because it's for a dead man. Wow. And and so there are, there are people throughout the United States at the time that believed that if they voted for Jefferson, it was a vote for a dead man. So even if they didn't vote for John Adams, they would vote for someone that wasn't Thomas Jefferson. And that, feel, that feels like a last-ditch effort to me, and unfortunately... Yeah. I mean, how pathetic is that? Of course it's pathetic. But, but you know, it's not that far off from, from Donald Trump talking about sleepy Joe Biden or, or Hillary's stamina saying they're going to die soon because they're old. Whereas Trump always tries to, you know, project himself as the, the pinnacle <laughs> of youthfulness for an elderly man, even though he can't drink a glass of water without help from two hands. It's... Yes. It's... It's amazing. And I think the I'm, the reality just that the the in the words travel faster than the fact checking is the the thing that we have not escaped in two hundred and twenty years, and it's so much harder to prove. And at the end of the day, they both uh, were the two top candidates, and Jefferson just barely won, and Adams. Uh, wait, 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 1800s? No, no, Adams won. No, no, Jefferson won in 1800. Oh, wait, oh, sorry, yeah. in 1800, Jefferson won. But, sorry, before we get to that, can I, I, I want to let yeah. you know, Calendar, that guy that was talking smack yeah. about Adams, he got arrested under the Sedition Acts. Damn. And he stayed quiet, expecting Jefferson... To give him a pardon. Like once Jefferson, if Jefferson won. Yeah, if he won the election of 1800. I actually have here that he, maybe you were getting to this, that that he eventually demanded a, a post in the government for his service. Yes, yes. And and Adams was so upset about all this that, that when Jefferson uh, was inaugurated, Adams took the, an early stage coach out of town to go back to Massachusetts because he did not want to be present at the inauguration ceremony of Thomas Jefferson. And I have here that... And they didn't speak to each other for 12 years. Yeah. That's a long friggin' time. That's the entirety of Jefferson's presidency. And, and so when, when Jefferson did not reward this journalist that stuck up for him and printed the, the, the bullshit about... Adams being a hermaphrodite, mm-hmm. he started printing stories about Sally Hemings. Yeah, and I believe the the Jefferson White House just never commented on the truth or falseness of the rumors, probably because if Adams was aware of it and was writing about it in letters to his sons, it seems like the kind of thing that most people in the know probably had some idea about. Um, and to be perfectly frank, uh, a lot of slave owners 
were also abusing their slaves in that same way. So, you know, they should all just fucking be in hell for that. But, um, sorry, slight digression. Uh, but... Uh, it's all right. But, I, but the know, scandal would... Say whatever you want about him. The scandal would either. follow Jefferson for the rest of his career. Uh, although he did win a second term as president. And uh, during his presidency, Jefferson mostly focused on stuff like trade. He did made the Louisiana Purchase, like, you know, doubling the size of America. Um, and then uh, he did a bunch of horrible stuff because he bought the Louisiana Purchase. He was like, well, there's all these Native Americans on this land, so we got to move them. Um, and so then, so he did a bunch of stuff like that. And then in 1807, he signed the Act Prohibiting the Importation of Slaves, which ended uh, sort of the bringing of new slaves to America, but obviously slaves that... Making everyone who already owned slaves, their slaves were more yeah. valuable. <laughs> which is, you know, it's like, ah. Uh... It sounds good, but... Yeah, it's truly just an anti-competitive tactic because all the people who were at the top were like, well, now no one else can get anywhere near us. Jefferson's legacy is very interesting. I mean, everybody's legacy is very interesting at that beginning of America because they could do just about anything, really. But the divides that they were facing, the, the, the sort of point of view, the social point of view that they had then, the sort of more conservative South, more... Uh, racially insensitive South and not that the North was much better but they at least did not believe in slavery like that same social divide and the fact that the South was or sorry the North was like slightly more industrialized and slightly more urban than the South like that is still the divide that we're facing today completely but uh, and and that's the thing is like a lot of people say that this Friendship is emblematic of the divide of most of Americans, but I I think there's there's a little bit more going on, and there's uh, there's some nuance where like it applies in certain ways, but I don't think it should be the standard barrier for how folks deal with their conservative friends. No, but by 1812, um, their mutual friend Benjamin Rush who was a fellow signer of the Declaration of Independence, wrote to... He kind of pulled, like, a parent trap on them almost, right? Yeah, he wrote to, like, each of them, dreaming about how uh, how they would renew their friendship through correspondence, and that they would, they would, you know, reunite, and it would be, like, the greatest thing for America, and they would both die on the same day... And it would be... Yeah, that was an insane prediction. What? Why? You're like, hey, you guys should still be friends. And you're going to die at the same time. Benjamin Rush, I don't know. There's, there's more to be looked up about this guy. Because he, he really called it in a creepy way. Yeah, it says, it says quote, that, uh, that they would be uh, sunk into their graves nearly at the same time, full of years and rich in the gratitude and praises of their country. Oh my god. But I thought it was fascinating that he basically, he told both of them, like, I had a dream that you guys would be friends again. And then he said, he told each of them that the other wanted them to write letters back and forth. 
So my in my stuff, Adams was the first one to send the note. Yes. To uh to Jefferson. Yeah, is that what you got too? Um, Adams was the first. Double checking. Yeah, the first of what would eventually. Oh, I have more than a hundred and eighty-five letters to each other. Wow. Which I think is different than the number that you had earlier. So. Uh, yeah, I thought it was one hundred fifty-eight, but maybe I just switched it. Oh, maybe uh, and I also the letter, too. and also the letters that I talked about were pre-election of eighteen hundred, because they stopped writing each other very much after election of eighteen hundred. That's true, and so, so even though they're writing to each other, they're not like best buddies yet. I mean, they've had the most bitter campaign that this country had ever seen out of you know the three it had seen at the time, um, or really just two, because I don't think Washington had to campaign very much. Yeah, he, yeah. Washington was just appointed, pretty much. Um, but I have that about a year after their communication was resumed, Adams wrote, You and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. Yeah. Um, which I thought was fascinating, because it speaks to that thing that you said was part of the heart of their early friendship, which was that just mutual respect, mutual intelligence, and finding someone who understood you. And that, and that was... One of the things that really that connected them throughout their whole friendship and throughout their life. They in in the letters after that they they talk about the the separation between the South and the North and how it would probably lead to a civil war. Mm-hmm. They talked a lot about science. They loved science. It became a big hobby for both of them. Astronomy. They loved their astronomy. Yeah. You know, it was rough. Adams later in life, you know, Adams was such a crotch throughout most of his life. He was such a crotch. But as he <laughs> aged, you know, his son uh, drank himself to death. Not John Quincy, but the other one. I forget his name. is Michael or something. And then uh, his daughter died of breast cancer. Abigail died before him, too. So John... John just saw a lot of tragedy and really mellowed out in his later years. Uh, Abigail died in 1818, so that was kind of... That was definitely towards the end. Mm. But Adams and Jefferson both survived all the way until 1826. Now, Adams, we, we, we were fortunate enough to get a lot, have a lot of these letters and a lot of this stuff yeah. because Adams' daughter happened to die before John died. Now, Jefferson, on the other hand, a lot of things were hidden because children lived after he died. And, and so that, that's part of why we have a little bit more of a complete picture huh. of John Adams and Abigail. And they, they've helped kind of color in and fill in the blanks of some of the stuff with Jefferson. But that, that's really it, is that uh, Adams, all, all the, the younger women in Adams' family died, and the men just could not be bothered with protecting their father's legacy. So they just didn't, they didn't bother. And so that's why we have a lot more of the warts and all stuff when, when it comes to John Adams, as opposed to Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Franklin. It's, it's interesting. And yes, so on, on their, the final day that they were alive... Or do you have anything before before 1826? Or are we going to death day? Well, I have this this quote from Jefferson. This is just, this really, you'll see what I mean, but it's literally right before death day. 
which is just a fascinating quote, I think, about both reflection and age and sort of all the stuff you're talking about with Adam's mellowing out. But he, he writes, um, crippled wrists and fingers make writing slow and laborious. But while writing to you, I lose the sense of these things. In the recollection of ancient times, when youth and health made happiness out of everything. That's beautiful. I did have that saved. I, do. <laughs> I'm, I love that one. Yeah, it's. It shows how like that friendship. Like that connection to another person is, and writing to him, even if it wasn't just like, "Hey, remember that time we did this," sort of. Um, evoked that point in their history and that point in both of their lives where they were so, you know, even though they were fighting, they were fighting because they were so passionate. And I think it's one of the things that friendship can do for us is, is help us find those feelings again. One day, maybe. Um, sorry, you were about to talk about the day of their death, which was... July 4th. Oh, man. It was July... Oh, Ju- right, well, it was sorry. July 3rd. Er, yes. Well, they died on July 4th. But July 3rd was when Jefferson fell into a coma. He had an intestinal disorder. And Adams, he didn't really have... He was just kind of old, so he had all sorts of stuff going on. And on July 4th, the morning, Adams collapsed in his reading chair. And around the same time, Jefferson died. Adams woke up briefly at 5.30 p.m. that evening after he collapsed. So he collapsed in the morning. Jefferson died. He woke up at 5.30 and said, Jefferson lives. And then died. (laughs) But uh, he was wrong. He was wrong. uh, Jefferson was dead. And it it was the 50th anniversary of Independence Day. So... There's a little bit of that, and too. They, but, but also, both of them thought that July 2nd would have been Independence Day, because that's really when they wrote the whole thing. So <laughs> True. You know, not everything turns out so the, the way you think. So the 50th and two-day anniversary. Yeah. That's, which is crazy, because for them, I forget why, I don't remember the story of why it became the 4th, but, like, how nuts is it to be so on the ground floor of something where you're like, well, I finished it on the second. It just took two days for everyone else to fucking sign it. <laughs> like, uh, um, but I have, unless you have anything else, I have one last interesting quote to read, which was um, the poet and writer Daniel Webster was asked to commemorate the two of them on the uh, you know, at a do a joint eulogy for the two of them. I, I would love to hear it. He said, he wrote, Adams and Jefferson on are no more, on our 50th anniversary, the great day of national jubilee in the very hour of public rejoicing, in the midst of echoing and re-echoing voices of thanksgiving, while their own names were on all tongues. They took their flight together, to the world of spirits. And hopefully, they're still hanging out there. I love it. I love it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this uh, extra long, extra different episode of My Favorite Friendship. 
Um, this has been a blast, and I've I even though I spent hours researching this, I still learned a ton. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, it was really fun. It was, it was great to hear your your research too. It was very cool. I love I love this friendship, and I love how all this this stuff comes together. This is such a great time, and I know there, there, it's hard to take pride in America right now. Things are rough, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are some really great things about this country, and and although it was forged by f- very, very flawed people, there are ideals that even they were seeking that are very good, and if we continue to seek those ideals, we'll we'll probably end up okay. But right now, we're in a rough spot. Well, if you have any recommendations of friendships that might help us get through this rough spot, please reach out to at myfavoritefriendship or on uh, Twitter at myfavfriendship, F-A-V. Uh, and then I'm Mark Musinski, at Mark Musinski. And Brian is at Brian Wool. Thank you very much, and we'll see all you friends next week.